our sermon text begins in chapter 15 at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circ circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask in this moment that you would do the thing that only you can do. Lord, by the power of your spirit, would you shine light on these words that are in your word? Would you shine light on the words that I've prepared? Lord, would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and our souls? And Lord, would you be so kind to use them to give us great and deep hope in our Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. There's, there's really not a good reason to think that Luke would want to do this. And by Luke, I mean the Luke who has written the book of Acts, who, by the way, has also written the Gospel of Luke. And, and there's no reason that he would want to do this. And by this, I mean have coffee with me in resurrected bodies in a new heavens and new earth. I have no reason to think Luke would take me up on that invitation. I kind of imagined that going differently. But, but if he did, if he took me up on this invitation, I would sit down with him and I would ask him, why? I'd say, Luke, why this story? I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen in the book of Acts. Okay, there's all kinds of things that presumably the apostles were doing in the world. And after the moment when you've shown us the most beautiful example 
The most miraculous example of the work of the Spirit in Acts 15, remember last week, where the believers from two different ethnic groups have this very strong disagreement. They come together, they listen to one another, they read the scriptures, they find a beautiful compromise. It's the most beautiful display of unity that we have in the New Testament. So Luke, why? Why after telling us all that would you give us a story of Paul and Barnabas, two stars of the show so far, who have a strong disagreement with one another, and they break fellowship. Why? And this sermon tonight is about trying to answer that question. See, the Bible teaches us that everything written in the scriptures was written so that by seeing what happened, we could have hope. So as we ask the question, why this story, the why gets converted to a how. Okay, why this story or how does this story give us hope? Because I actually think that this story is actually, and I've thought about it for a very long time, I think this story is deeply hopeful. So as we answer the question why, I want us to make our way toward this main idea. This, this, is, this is what this sermon is about. If you're out to dinner and somebody asks you what the sermon was about, this is what I hope you would tell them. In Christ, more can be healed than we know. Particularly in Christ, relationships can be healed. So let's take a look. What I want to do is I want to explain to you sort of what's going on here in this scene. And I want to try to answer the why question. So let's begin with what's going on in this scene. So like I had said before, in the Jerusalem Council moment, Acts chapter 15, we looked at this last week. Two groups of believers have a strong disagreement with one another. It's the kind of thing that has the potential to tear the early Christian community, the church around the world, completely into. But these Christians do what all Christian groups do when there's disagreements, and that's that they go have a meeting. They have a meeting, they listen to one another, they listen to each other's experiences, they judge their, their experiences by um, um, the scriptures, and then they craft a way to still be in fellowship with one another in a way that makes both parties uncomfortable, but that they can remain together. Do you guys remember this last week? But in the very next scene, I mean, the very next scene, this happens. Verse 36, and after some days, so it's only a few days later, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, because Paul and Barnabas were the ones together at the Jerusalem council, they're working together, they're bleeding together, literally, they're sweating together. They're experiencing the pain of all of these things together. Okay? 
And after a certain amount of days and ministry together, Paul is ready. He's ready to, to take up um, the journey again. He's ready to get on the boat. He's ready to get going again. So Paul, after some days, says to Barnabas in verse 36, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, and let's see how they are. It's reasonable, right? We've been here in Jerusalem for long enough. We've crafted this compromise. This beautiful moment of unity has happened. Why don't we just get back out there and start on a journey again? Paul is in essence saying to Barnabas, we've gone on one missionary journey. We've come back. We've reported back. We've had this meeting in Jerusalem. Let's go out on another missionary journey together. Sounds fine, right? Barnabas is like, yeah, cool. Sounds great. Verse 37. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John, who's called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who was withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Verse 39, and there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from one another. I kind of imagine the conversation went like this. I'm going to be Paul and Barnabas at the same time, so just go with me here. <laughs> so Paul's speaking. Um, hey, Barnabas, let's, let's go. Let's go back out. It's time to get back on the work. Barnabas is like, great. I think that's a great idea. Then let's take Mark with us. What Mark are you talking about? You know, John, the one called Mark. And Paul says, Paul says, hold on. That Mark is the one who abandoned us in Pamphylia. I don't trust him. We're not taking Mark with us. And Barnabas says, but no, let's take Mark with us. Barnabas is known in these pages, the previous chapters, as a person who believes in people. And his, his name literally means a son of encouragement. Let's give him another chance here, Paul. And Paul essentially says, I don't trust him. Paul says, I'm not going if we take Mark. Barnabas then says, then I'm not going. And then there's a sharp disagreement. The, the language here is strong. Okay, the idea is, is like a rubbing against one another. It's no small thing. It's a strong disagreement. And if you've paid attention in the book of Acts, if you've paid attention to, the, to what's happened so far, if you let your mind go there, and I've literally, like I set out to preach this text. I wrote it down for this day in September of last year, and I've been thinking about this for months. And if you let your mind go there, it would make you cry. Because the beauty of the unity that we've just seen suddenly is upended by this strong disagreement among the church's leaders. So Luke, Luke, why? Why this story? I want to answer that now. Number one, I think what this story is supposed to show us that gives me great hope. Number one, 
is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, can advance in spite of its leaders' disagreements. See, the story of Acts is a story of the good news of the gospel's advancement. And listen to all the things that the good news of the gospel has advanced right on through so far. Okay, it's advanced through language barrier. That's what happens at Pentecost. It's advanced right on through a language barrier because the Spirit pours out in such a way that everyone can hear the gospel in their own language. It just advances right on through. Um, It advances right on through persecution. This story is a story about how the apostles are drugged and, and, and beaten and persecuted and the good news of the gospel just advances right on through. It advances through ridicule. It advances, honestly, later, later in the book, it'll advance through shipwrecks. The apostles will set out to go somewhere and preach the gospel and literally their boat's going to shipwreck. And the good news of Jesus just keeps on marching. It advances through ethnic strife. It advances through intimidation from local government officials. It advances through imprisonments and more and more and more. And here, it advances through the personality clash between Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. I just think it's so deeply hopeful to know that the good news of the gospel can work in spite of our ability to get along with one another. Or our inability, we should say. That's the first why, that the good news of Jesus can advance right on through. Second thing about this text that I think is deeply hopeful. So if you're to ask Luke, Luke, why, why this story? And his first answer is, you know, I just kind of wanted to show how the gospel could keep on advancing through all kinds of obstacles. And this was a great example. Then I might say, well, are there any other reasons? And then Luke might tell me, because it happens, doesn't it? Y'all, because of the stories that we get in the scriptures, especially a story like this one, it, it, to me, shows us that our Lord wants us, and hear me carefully here, that our Lord wants us to have a faith that is without illusions. See, there's a hypothetical Christian community, there's a hypothetical body of Christ that I, that I think is perfect, it's just that it doesn't exist anywhere. And it's just really important for us to know that when we take up belonging in a body of Christ, there will be things that are difficult. Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a pastor and a theologian sort of in the era of um, World War II in Germany, wrote this classic book called Life Together. And he warns Christians that our 
kind of imaginary ideas of what a church should be like is the biggest obstacle to enjoying the church that our Lord Jesus has actually given us. He goes on to say something so bold. Bonhoeffer says, God hates visionary dreaming. Hold on a second. Let me explain what he means. As one who is a dreamer, what Bonhoeffer means is we can have an imaginary idea of what a church should look like to the point at which we kind of, we kind of, it poisons our own hearts and it puts too much pressure on the people around us. God, God hates that. So I think a text like this is deeply hopeful because it shows us that things like this, this Paul and Barnabas thing, it happened here in Acts 15 and 16, but it also happens And it will happen if you belong to the body of Christ. But it's still so hard, isn't it? Look with me again at verse 39. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. In that moment when Paul and Barnabas and Mark depart from one another, literally Barnabas walks off the scene of the book of Acts and the New Testament forever. It's just still so deeply painful. And there's all kinds of interesting things about this sharp disagreement. The the, the narrative doesn't tell us one was wrong and the other one was right. The narrative doesn't tell us that this was like a primary what's the gospel about issue. It was about a secondary issue. But even though that's fine, it still is deeply painful and sad to see the split, isn't it? So if, if, if reason one that Luke gives us is that the gospel can advance despite personality difficulties, and reason two is Luke tells us this story because this is what happens. This is what happens in the body of Christ. Our final question for Luke is, okay, then how is that hopeful? How else would that be hopeful? I want to take you to a scene, and I don't want you to turn there, but I want you to just hear me. I want to take you to a scene from 2 Timothy chapter 4. This is the same Paul, the same Paul that splits with Barnabas and Mark. It's the same Paul. And Paul is writing the final letter that he will write in the New Testament. It's 2 Timothy. Paul is at the end of his life. He's preached the gospel. 
He's fulfilled his calling. And in 2 Timothy, he's writing from a Roman jail cell. He's awaiting his execution. He knows that his end is not just like a hypothetical, but it is imminent. It is coming. And just listen to what Paul writes to Timothy. End of his life. Paul writes, hey, Timothy, would you do your best to come to me soon? For Demas, who is in in love with this present world, has deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica. And Crescens has gone to Galatia. And Titus has gone to Dalmatia. And Luke alone is with me. Paul, in a jail cell, writing to Timothy, explaining some of the pains that he has experienced relationally, particularly that these people have left. But listen to what he says, the next thing he says. Would you get Mark? And would you bring him with you? Because he's very useful to me in the ministry. This is the same Mark that the disagreement was about. And at the end of the day, the beautiful thing is it's, it's not like Paul had ever forgotten Mark. It's not that his love for him had changed at all. But Paul, at the end of his life, desires Mark and desires Mark's company, which tells me that in Christ, more can be healed than we know. See, in Christ, there's a cross, and that cross has the power to forgive sin. And the scriptures teach us that when we have been forgiven much, we can turn to others and forgive them much. We talked about this last week. The Christian life, as simple as I can explain it to you, is that Jesus Christ has been kind and gracious and tender and patient with you. And now, all of a sudden, you can be changed in such a way that you can be kind and tender and patient with others. In other words, more can be healed in relationships than you could ever imagine. And Jesus goes to the cross, but he's also raised from the dead, which means all kinds of dead things can actually, in Jesus, come alive again. I can't even begin to explain to you how much I believe because I have seen the ways in which Jesus can resurrect any dead thing. And of course, the spirit of God is placed inside of us in such a way that so many things can be healed. Even pain and difficulty in relationships. And the scriptures teach that this healing work is something our Lord Jesus is committed to do. He's committed to heal our hearts in such a way that we can begin to see relationships healed. 
Because in Christ, more can be healed than we know. And this healing, by the way, will continue. It will continue. And it will continue in such a way that one day, sin and sorrow will be no more. Death will be swallowed up forever. And relational discord, like Paul and Barnabas, sharp relational discord that Paul and Barnabas and Mark and Silas and Timothy are all living, those things, that kind of thing, will simply go on in a bucket one day somewhere called former things, things that don't really happen anymore. In this new heavens and new earth, we will see Jesus' face. The scriptures teach us that our names will be, his name will be on our foreheads. And we're told that in this new heavens and new earth, there is a tree that has healing in it. And by the way, that's the actual hope of Christianity, by the way. The actual hope of Christianity is not that your life will be easier now. Never promised. But the hope of Christianity is that all will be well and healed one day. And that truth, which is more true than anything else in all the world, has its way of working its way backwards into the present tense in such a way that we can take hold of it. And the Bible's word for taking hold of that future reality in the present tense is hope. So the Paul and the Barnabas and the Mark story shows us that in Christ, more can be healed than we know. Praise God. Let's pray.